Hello, and welcome to the Hearth and Hedge podcast. My name is Amberly, and I'm so pleased to have you join me today. On today's episode, I have a very exciting guest. She is a best-selling novelist, screenwriter, and journalist. Juno's books include the global bestsellers, This Book is Gay, and Clean. She also writes for television and has multiple shows in development, both in the UK and the US. An occasional actress and model, Juno appeared on HBO's I May Destroy You. She is also the author of the HMRC trilogy, of which the second book, The Shadow Cabinet, just came out. Please welcome the esteemed Juno Dawson. Welcome, Juno. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming. I know you've been crazy busy with the release of this uh, second part of the trilogy. Yes. Although things have now calmed down a little bit. I'm back home. I'm actually, I'm working on part three now. So I feel like life life is going at its normal speed again, which I'm grateful for. <laughs> That's good. Um, well, I mean, I know I just introduced you, but mm-hmm. do you want to add anything onto onto that? I mean, that is the official that is the official description. Um, <laughs> no, I mean that that is that is the most of the thing. I will say, I'm not working on any American TV shows at the moment because, of course, we are on strike. So um, I will not uh-huh. be I will not be writing any American television just now solidarity with striking workers but um, other than that I think you covered it pretty much wonderful well I'm glad to hear that you're on strike Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean I'm sad that you have to be but (laughs) yeah yeah um so on my podcast I like to discuss with my guests what they are drinking at the moment do you have anything exciting that you're drinking (laughs) I don't know if I would say exciting I have my peppermint tea on hand Ah. delicious Thanks. I love peppermint tea. Um, I know you're writing, but are you reading anything? I am. I've just finished. Um, it's called, it hasn't quite, I don't think it's come out yet. It's called Delicate Condition. It's what the next series of American Horror Story is going to be based on. And while I was touring America, I swung by um, Sourcebooks, who are my publisher for my nonfiction in America. And um, they were like, "Do you want to? Do you want any books for your for your travels?" And I was like, "Yeah, I want that one." So I've <laughs> I've gotten I've gotten to read that one a little bit before it comes out. So it's kind of like a modern modern reboot on Rosemary's Baby, kind of. I think oh, is how I would describe it. Kind of a lot a lot of pregnancy related body horror. Oh wow, that's that should be interesting. Yeah. Wow, uh, very cool, very cool. It's nice to have have an and get some extra stuff a little early, isn't it? <laughs> that, is, that is one of the perks of author life which is you know we do get sent an insane number of books more, more than we know what to do with actually in fact I've pretty much now I've said I can't take any more because we're looking to move house so we're in the position where do I want to pay a burly man to move this book at the moment so um so at the moment at the moment I've got a sort of moratorium on, on free pre-release novels I wish I well I'm sure my husband wishes that I would stop doing that <laughs> No. Every day, no. he's like, really, another book? <laughs> that the postman comes down, or postperson comes, like, staggering down your pathway with an armful of books, yeah. Exactly. I'm familiar. Yeah. The long-suffering <laughs> postal workers of my address. Well, we appreciate them. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. Um, so, do you have a favorite book of, not not yours, but, like, just or book series I have a few can I cheat and say more than one because my favorite my favorites are so 
bonkers in terms of they're so unlike each other that you can't really compare apples and oranges. But um, so I think in terms of grown-up adult novels, um, I think, although it was challenged last year, but I think my favourite, certainly the last 10 years, has been Oryx and Crake, which is Margaret Atwood's, I think, Margaret Atwood's best novel. Um, it's kind of, I love that it's kind of her attempting to do kind of like mainstream kind of science fiction but it's still so wildly imaginative and thrilling and dark and entertaining and it says so much about the world and the environment challenged last year I read Station Eleven by Emily St John Mandel for the first time and that really did knock my socks off that was one of those this is it I quit moments because nothing I write is ever going to be as good as Station Eleven so I was like let's throw the towel in but also I've got a real soft spot for a children's book called Clockwork by Philip Pullman. Obviously, Philip Pullman is much better known for his dark materials, like Golden mm-hmm. Compass series. But um, he wrote his earlier books were for slightly younger children, I think. And Clockwork is 92 pages long. It's a tiny little slip of a book, but it's just the most ingenious, brilliant, sort of gothic little piece of children's fiction. And I come back to that book, I think, more than any other book, because it reminds me of the power of being concise and of not having a wasted word. And yeah, I, I, it's a bit of a gem, an, un, an unknown gem. That's wonderful. I will check that out because I love his uh, Dark Material series. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'll check them all out because I am obsessed with books. <laughs> Do. Enjoy. Enjoy. All right. Uh, do you have a favorite author? Ooh, I have a few. I'm a big, big fan of an Irish author called Louise O'Neill, who I think writes complicated, sort of morally grey women really, really well. Um, I think in America, I don't know what book she'd be best known for in America. She wrote a book called Only Ever Yours, Asking For It. Um, More recently, she did one called um, Idol, which was nothing to do with the HBO series of the same name. Um, I'm also a big, big fan of, I've already mentioned Margaret Atwood once, uh, Mallory Blackman. Oh, yeah, more Marianne Keyes, another Irish author. Gosh, so, so many, so many amazing women. Gillian Flynn. Lovely. You know, I really love that I rarely ever get the same author when I ask that question. It's uh-huh. really great. I always get new authors, which is wonderful. Um, so if you had to choose a favorite book series... <sighs> Ooh. If I've already mentioned Oryx and Crake, which is a trilogy with Oryx and Crake, Year of the Flood and Mad Adam. The other one I would pick, and that will be well known to all your readers, would be Hunger Games. Because it just oh, came yeah. out at the exact right time for me when I was just starting writing young adult fiction in the UK. And I discovered them just before Mockingjay came out. And so I got to kind of participate in the in the hype when Mockingjay came out. So um, that one it always slightly feels like my trilogy, if you know what I mean. Kind of like the one, the one, the one where I onboarded with online YA discourse. So it will always yes. have a place in my heart. It's a great series. It really is. Uh, oh, I, I think yeah. the, the first one I think is a perfect book. I will not hear a word against The Hunger Games. I think it is <laughs> a perfect young adult novel. Yeah, it really is. And I, I've owned probably 30 copies of it and I can never keep it because somebody borrows it. And then I guess I forget who it is and I never get it back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's Hard okay. Hard to relate. 
Um, let's see. So we're going to switch it up a little bit back to you. Uh -huh. um, what motivated you to become a writer? Well, I think I've always been a writer. What I didn't understand was that I could do it professionally. I think through my school years, and I think this is true in both the UK and America, and especially then as well, our diet was so poor in terms of the authors we were getting. They were all male. They were largely dead. <laughs> they were nearly all white. Very, very rarely women. Um, and so... I had this idea in my head of what an author could be and it was by and large it was a man in the past so I didn't really understand that it was even a job that people did in the modern day you know it mm -hmm. blew my mind I think an author came into Sears when I was in high school and it kind of blew my mind that there was an author who lived near to where I lived kind of and that she was English and it kind of I didn't really understand that um even though I was writing stories for my grandma and I was writing little plays and little scripts at home, I just thought it wasn't for me. And, you know, I came from a working class Northern house where the emphasis was always on you need to earn money. Um, so actually my first kind of real love work was acting. But again, and I can't really blame my parents for this. I wasn't really encouraged towards that. They were like, that's mm -hmm. lovely but what are you going to do for work? Because yeah. we can't afford to keep you. You know, you there's no chance that, you know, I'm going to be getting a house bought for me or a car bought for me or anything like that. So it was kind mm -hmm. of, you need, you know, they knew I was bright, they knew I was going to go to college, but they were like, you need to go to college and learn to do something that can earn you some money. So I became a teacher. And that was kind of my way in because I started borrowing YA novels from the kids in my class. And my first, my first 10 novels were for young adults before I moved on to adult literature. So That's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's a great story. Um, now, of the books you have written, mm -hmm. which one do you think you enjoyed writing the most? I think this one. I think that's a cop-out. But Her Majesty's Royal Coven came at a weird time. It was peak pandemic um I was contracted to be writing I thought I had one more YA novel left on my contract and in those early days of 2020 it was honestly like pulling teeth and the the first 20,000 words of that YA novel do still exist on my hard drive but they're not very good um and <laughs> I was just finding every day just really mad just trying like counting down the day counting down the hours to yoga with Adrienne kind of and my husband was like, well, what do you want to write? You know, what, what do you think? What, you know, we don't know if we're ever getting out of this flat ever again. So, you know, do you, what do you want to do? And, mm -hmm. and I'd had this idea a few years previously about doing kind of this sort of desperate housewives, but they're witches. And it sort of bubbled away in my brain. And then I kind of thought more about sort of expanding the world and making it more like this sort of x-men style world where mm -hmm. witches are living among regular people and and i sort of said well if if this book is never getting published and if we're all going to die of this weird virus i think i want to do my witches versus x-men big fantasy trilogy mm -hmm. and it was just so much fun because it's all my favorite things it's 
a little bit of The Craft, it's a little bit of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it's a little bit of Desperate Housewives or Sex in the mm-hmm. City. It's all my favourite things. And thank goodness, because that book really got me through lockdown. Yeah, well, I absolutely love that book. Um, actually, quickly, my book club through my podcast, that's that's the book we're reading right now. Mm-hmm. The first in the trilogy, so... We're all very excited about it, and they're really excited about this interview. <laughs> no spoilers. I won't, I won't do any spoilers. Then I'll keep okay. it. I'll keep it spoiler free. <laughs> okay. Um, what about the least? What was your least favorite book to write? Okay. I do. I do have one, and I'm going to be honest. I don't think I've ever named this novel, and it's a novel that a lot of other people really love. It's definitely my mum's favorite. So, of course, you know the relationship between an author and a reader is very separate um it's a not a YA novel I wrote I think in 2015 called mm-hmm. Margot and me and it's the only one of my novels I would not choose to read and I think I am um, was writing you know I'd not had wild success with any of my YA novels one of my horror novels had done quite well and won some like regional awards but I was like, right, enough of this. I want I want a big hit. I want to write like a big smash hit, weepy of a novel. And I think I did do that. So I achieved what I set out to achieve. I think it's a really emotional novel. I think it is a heartbreaker. People do cry in all the right places. Mm-hmm. But that is not a book that I would read. So it kind of came from this quite cynical place. And interestingly, it's not my novel that has done the best. Because actually... After I wrote Margot and Me, I was like, do you know what? Stuff it. I want to just write something really nasty and edgy. And I wrote a book called Clean, which is about a 17-year-old heroin addict. And that book did ferociously well. So it goes (laughs) to show that trying to write a book for the market, I think, is the worst thing you can do. And actually going forth, and especially after Her Majesty's Royal Coven, if it's not a book that I would read, I'm just not, I'm not entertaining it. It's not for me. That makes sense. That makes sense. It's hard to write something that you just don't really have the heart for. Mm-hmm. I think no, I'm you... not going to, I'm definitely not going to name names, but I think there are some authors who write books they wouldn't read themselves. <laughs> but then... That's no no judge, zero judgment. We don't judge here. Mm. And that is because, you know, the publishing industry is really, really hard. And if sometimes you do have to be a little bit cynical to break into the industry. So, you know, if I was getting started now, would I be writing my sort of cosy crime? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'd be looking for a way in. Maybe I'd be writing a YA thriller. I don't know. Yeah. Um. So... We're going to switch over to this book, your your newest book, uh, The Shadow Cabinet. Yeah. Um, and my, I love this book. What was your motivation behind writing an anti-hero? You don't get that very often. And I think I wouldn't have done it for book one. So Shadow Cabinet picks up immediately after Her Majesty's Royal Coven, where the baton gets passed from lovely, sort of warm, nurturing Neve to her misguided twin sister Kira. Do you see how I did that without spoilers? I thought that was I really, loved it. I thought that was really <laughs> slick, actually. Um, 
And that was deliberate. I wanted to avoid kind of sequel fatigue. I didn't want it to feel like more of the same. And to introduce a new main character felt like the smartest way to do that. So this book, if book one is sweet, then book two is definitely sour. Mm-hmm. Um, Neve was, is such an easy character to love. And um, because, you know, she welcomes the character of Theo into her home so readily. And I think that's something we can all warm to. Whereas Kira is more of a challenge. And I wanted to extend that challenge to the reader, which is you you think you know this character from book one. You know, she's come mm-hmm. with all this hype. She's the evil twin. But book two offers a challenge, which is can you, even if you don't like her, can you at least understand her? And I think there's something so, especially as adult readers, you know, this isn't mm-hmm. a children's or YA novel. As adults, I think we are more receptive to morally grey characters who have done terrible things mm-hmm. and are either looking for redemption or, you know, we, we can come to learn why, why they are this way. And, you know, at the moment I'm watching you on Netflix, you know, obviously based on the novels and, you know, Joe Goldberg, the murderer, you know, he's such an interesting onion to unravel kind of. Mm-hmm. And I hope Kira is the same, which is she does do some awful things, but I think by the end of the novel, I hope readers will understand why she does some of them. Yeah, I um, I really appreciate the way you kind of force your readers to look at people from a different perspective and appreciate them for who they are rather than seeing only the stereotype. Mm-hmm. And I, I really loved that about your first book because... Um, I mean, obviously right now in the United States, there's like some serious, crazy stuff happening with politics and people, you know, just craziness. Mm -hmm. And that book just, I read it at the perfect time for me, just seeing that, you know, this, um, if everyone could just read that book, you know, maybe they would have a little bit more empathy or even understanding for people that are coming from a different walk of life. So I was really excited to share that, that book with my, my listeners. And I think they're going to enjoy the second one just as much. Thank you. I think it adds a layer of kind of complexity to it. I mm-hmm. think in book one, we only really get Neve's side of the story. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it's really interesting to see Neve through Kira's eyes, because mm-hmm. I think, in our day-to-day lives, we are all the hero of our own story. We can only right. ever be the main... We all have main character syndrome in our lives. And mm-hmm. and I think seeing Neve through somebody else's eyes is really interesting. And I think um, no no one thinks they're a villain. Not even not even the villains think they're villains. Right. So I think, right. And I think as a writer, that's always a really good position to start from, which is rarely does anybody leave the flat and thinks, right, let's go do some evil. I think everybody's doing it for a reason and I that's what I like about book one you know I tried to understand why the dubious character was behaving the way she did I wanted to try and understand why she hated trans people so much and that was as a trans person that was like a really valuable experience for me to Mm -hmm. try you know that character doesn't feel she's doing anything wrong she's just inflexible and unprepared 
to shift her thinking and i and i think certainty is really dangerous so yeah yeah i agree i agree that was well put um so who is your favorite character to write do you have them? yeah and i i do i do think it might be kira and but i especially kira just in book one so in book one, Kira turns up for two chapters and those are the, the two most fun chapters because she's so deliciously wicked in, in that first book. She, is, she does get to be the Wicked Witch and then in book two, we get to understand why she's the way she is. And so in terms of my favourite character to write, in book two, that became Elle, who I think people are surprised about that. So Elle is the stay-at-home mom character although mm-hmm. she's she has a part-time job but she she is very about her domestic life she's made a mm-hmm. home and over the course of book one and book two she starts to see that home crumble and all five of the witches in her majesty's wild coven are different facets of me they all come from mm-hmm. me and that's a part of me that people might not see very often because when i'm at home i'm it's usually just me and my husband so mm-hmm my readers my friends don't really get to see the l side of me but i am a little homemaker and i am quite protective of my home and and when l's home is threatened she goes on she changes quite a lot in book two and i think writing l's fury as her she so she realizes her husband isn't who she thinks he is um, Elle's fury as she realises she's given her whole life to being a wife and mother mm-hmm. um, writing Elle's anger was very satisfying I think any woman would find those chapters quite satisfying I think yeah yes for sure for sure um, so you write witches quite well mm-hmm. um, <laughs> so this podcast is a book podcast but it's also uh, all of my listeners are pagans or witches or both mm-hmm. Uh and I just love how well uh, you write them. Thank you. I, I think they're really wonderful. And, and even though, you know, there's fantastical things in here, there's also very um, normal everyday witch stuff, which is great. Really wonderful. Um, what made you decide to write about witches? I mean, you talked a little bit about it before, but but why witches? Well, I was a child of the 90s. <laughs> so so like, <laughs> like anyone who grew up in the 90s, it was, it was part of... You know, it's funny, isn't it? At any given time in culture, there is the accepted alternative. Uh And during the 90s in the UK, your options were Wicca or dreary Britpop bands with boys in anoraks, (laughs) like Blur and Oasis. Kind of, so I went, I went down kind of the Wicca route. And, and I think it's no surprise given that I was, a queer working class teenager in a drab suburb of West Yorkshire when my friends and I, we wanted a way out. And I think there was something very appealing about the notion that we could change our physical environment through manifestation or through sheer wishing, through sisterhood, through the Mm -hmm. energy that we had when we were together. There were four of us, you know, when I made friends with my high school friends, we never called ourselves a coven, but we very much mm-hmm. identified as the weird kids. You know, there was there was truly an energy between us, this sense of homecoming that against the odds we had found our people, that we had found our tribe. And 
and you know that was I think it was a year after the craft came out and at the same time Buffy and Charmed are on television as well mm-hmm. so it sort of seed there and then I think we moved we sort of moved apart the four of us I still live with one of my best friends we both live in the south together now um and we always describe ourselves as witchy rather than witches and that's because I think mm-hmm. we just frankly don't invest enough time in our practice to consider ourselves witches mm-hmm. but enough that we've kept on top of discourse we've kept on top of the culture um social media has only made that easier to kind of keep yeah. to keep a finger on the pulse of what's being talked about and where witchcraft has moved to and from um so yeah no it that's it's you know it's been a part of my life and it kind of made sense. One of my YA novels was about witchcraft as well, and in a less um, explicit way. A book called Hollow Pike was was sort of quite witch adjacent, like about a, about a village with a history of witchcraft and the the repercussions of that village hundreds of years later. But um, Her Majesty's Royal Coven was the first time that I wanted to really go there, and there were there's quite a lot of books out on both sides of the Atlantic at the moment, where there is that sort of suggestion of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot, past me too, it's understandable that there are a lot of female authors who want to write about marginalised women and the persecution of women. And so there are lots of sort of historical books set during, like, Pendle Witch Trials, Vardo Witch Trials, Salem Witch Trials. I didn't want it to be a hint of witchcraft. I wanted it to be like really, really overtly witchy. Like mm-hmm. we have a government organization of witches, you know, kind of these women can fly, they can control the weather. Um, and the, probably the fantas- fantastical elements are going to put off some readers um, who like that more grounded Mm-hmm. just a little a little bit of sage and candle um but no right. I, I wanted to go full action film witches kind of like big comic book witches yeah well that's the beauty of writing you can do whatever you want to do mm-hmm. and and it's it's not too fantastical because it's a book <laughs> you know exactly <laughs> and I, I think as well people don't read one book in their lives I think right. and especially people who are like witches aren't just going to read one book about witchcraft in their lives mm-hmm. so um, I think Her Majesty's Royal Coven fits so nicely into the canon of books about both women and witches which are coming out at the moment yeah yeah I think it's wonderful and it's very timely and perfect and, and beautiful I just I, I'm so excited for the third book um, which leads me to my next question mm-hmm. Wait, great segue uh when do you anticipate that last book to come out? So we've taken a diversion through Tudor England. So next summer we are releasing Queen Bee, which is the prequel. Um, it's a short novel set in the court of Anne Boleyn as we explore the fir- the very first coven, the coven where it all began. And that came about because I wanted a bit more time on book three, which is going to be called Human Rights, um, spelled like rights of passage. And that one will be out in 2025. So there's, there'll still be one book every year. We're still on track to do a book a year. But next year, we're just, we're going back in time 500 years or so to see to see how the coven began. And then the story will be concluded the year after. I'm writing it now. I'm about 40,000 words in. So it's well underway. So exciting. I'm very, very exciting. 
Her, yeah, I'm not exciting. You're exciting. <laughs> I'm having the I'm best time. It's so lovely because I kind of, you know, book one hugely benefited from lockdown. So I had no distractions, no events, no touring, mm-hmm. no bookshops. Then Shadow Cabinet was much more stop-start. Once life started to grind back, Shadow Cabinet took me twice the length of time to write as book one. And then it became really apparent that there was no way book three was going to be finished for next year. So I was mm-hmm. like, what if, what if we just told a story about Anne Boleyn instead? And my, luckily both, both my American and British publishers were like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's, I want to reclaim Anne Boleyn as a witch. You know, I think a lot, a, a lot of people have defended Anne Boleyn from the charge mm-hmm. of witchcraft, but I'm like, what if she was? Did she deserve yes. to die? Did she deserve to lose her head for it? So I am, I'm reclaiming Anne Boleyn, which. Love it. Love it. Uh, so we're at the point in the podcast where I would love for you to share any upcoming events, uh, issues you're passionate about, anything you would like the listeners to think on, anything like that. So I'm now home. <laughs> for the foreseeable future you've just missed me america i've just finished my u.s tour and um, hopefully i'll be back soon um in terms of what i would like people to be thinking about at the moment is um banned books in america do read banned books i think there is a very vexatious campaign at the moment in the united states which is weird it's not really one that's affecting the uk yet and I hope it stays that way but um, having just got back from America largely um, I was speaking at the American Libraries Association conference about being a banned author and a, a highly challenged author more for my non-fiction than my fiction in, in America but um, do do read banned books wherever you can and support librarians and bookshops because they're having a grisly time at the moment with with vexatious people just causing them headaches for the sake of political point scoring yes yes i actually um speaking of banned books am trying to start a movement where you know we have these little free libraries all over the united states Mm -hmm. where people just put books in there i am going to build one at the base of my hill and it's only going to contain banned books nice loving that yeah. And I would like to ask all of my listeners, if you know where one is, throw a couple band books in there. Yay. Oh, that's lovely. No, I think, yeah, it's because it feels like I'm not really sure what they want to achieve with this campaign because I don't think anybody in America wants to be told what they can and can't read. No. So what are they hoping to achieve? Strange, I don't know. strange, a waste of time. And yeah. both of our countries have much bigger problems than books. Yes. Don't kill people. That's right. That's right. Mm. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy that that's what they're deciding to mm. to worry about right now. Um, well, I do have listeners in the UK. Do you have any upcoming events in the UK? In the UK? I do. So we had to reschedule a couple of tour dates. So I will be in Oxford in August, and then I will be. Popping up, there's Yalk as well coming up this year in November. I've got an event at the British Library in November. So while my official touring window has closed, um, there are some bits and bobs coming up. And what I will say, if people just follow me at Juno Dawson on um, Instagram and now threads, um, <laughs> there will be all future dates there. But um, 
yeah if not do do grab a copy of her majesty's royal coven and shadow cabinet if you haven't already and i'll see you see you to talk about queen bee next summer and i'll be back on the road properly yes i'm very excited and um i always forget that i have a thing on threads now <laughs> threads, like twitter but not evil give it That's a whirl right. yeah for now i'm gonna say twitter wasn't evil to begin with so let's see right. let's That's see how right. it goes yeah all right. Well, thank you again, Juno. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Oh, no, um, thank you for having me. An absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's been wonderful. And uh, I, I hope we can chat next year. Let's with Queen Bee. Yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk about Tudors next year. All right. Sounds great. Thanks again. Thank you very much. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at The Hearth and Hedge, on my website, thehearthandhedge.com, or you can email me at thehearthandhedge at gmail.com. I also have a Patreon that can be found at patreon.com slash the hearth and hedge. If you like what you hear, consider leaving a review wherever you find your podcasts.